it's really shocking to see the difference in how the white supremacist extremists were treated by MPD, by Capitol Police. And so I think we're seeing the most overt uh, signs of white supremacy that has been existing in this country um, since its creation. It's really hard to be constantly told that Black Lives Matter is some sort of super radical, violent extremist organization by the Republicans when you know that what we're fighting for is freedom and peace and we want an end to violence and we get treated with nothing but violence. I believe that's what we call gaslighting in the modern world, uh, as uh, there's been plenty of violence, and indeed BLM is a Marxist organization and are very, very radical by American standards. Uh, but that was uh, the uh, BLM DC organizer, Makia Green. I have heard the term white supremacy tied to, oh man, probably three or four different things just in the last 24 hours. Um, Everything's I, evidence of it now. Yeah. It's it's like the, the climate change. If it's cold, it's evidence. If it's warm, it's evidence. I, I heard it yesterday. I don't uh, claim to be an expert on the QAnon philosophy, uh, although I've read a lot more about it in the last couple of weeks than I ever had before. But I don't I don't think I've come across anything the white supremacy aspect. Is there a white supremacy aspect to QAnon? There's some allied groups probably that buy into it. You know, in that uh, they they orbit the QAnon thing, and they happen to be white nationalists or whatever, but... I don't you know, know the, the, the theory I was putting together in my own head yesterday was those of you who were worried about Trump being tied to white supremacists missed the, 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 the risk. The, the, the risk was Trump being tied to the QAnon crowd, playing footsie with the QAnon crowd. Right, right. I think but that's the crowd that got out of hand. There's a fair amount of overlap, but you know the the tendency in the the lefty media and the rest is to tie Republicans to the worst examples of the people twice removed. I mean, uh, the Republicans know people in this organization who know people in this organization who hang out with people in this organization. Therefore, the Republicans are guilty of the most extreme stuff. Where if you were going to go with that argument, you could absolutely condemn the Democrats for playing footsie with communists. Because if you get to the uh, the various big unions or with the socialists or with the communists, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, uh, I was reading an absolutely terrific uh, piece by David Bernstein. And he's talking about the, the violence at the Capitol, which was loathsome and terrible and every Everybody condemns it, and uh, anybody with any sense does. Um, but the narrative on and on about, uh, and, and NPR has been pushing this hard, and that was indeed a clip we just played from NPR, that it's a sign of white supremacy, the difference in the police response to the two phenomena, the the so-called racial justice demonstrations um, over the, the summertime and and the, the march on the Capitol thingy. Um, and uh, so Bernstein starts with a little perspective, a little background. While the vast majority of demonstrations last summer were peaceful, the accompanying rioting across the country was incredibly destructive. There are different ways of measuring property damage the riots caused, but they are up there with the damage from the 1992 L.A. rioting and the totality of the urban riots of all of the 60s. Looters, rioters, and others connected with the unrest murdered approximately 12 people. Some of the deaths are unclear. Uh, those include David Dorn, a retired 77-year-old police captain who looters shot and killed when they broke into a pawn shop. Say his name. Say, oh, no, we don't have to say it. Nobody's asking us to say his name. Interesting. Nobody's stopping political contributions because of that. Killing an elderly, elderly retired cop. 
Sicoria Turner, an eight-year-old girl who was killed during a shooting incident incident involving armed rioters in Atlanta. Aaron Danielson, conservative counter-demonstration, who left this rioter stalked and murdered. Um, on and on, uh, individual shot and killed by police, armed civilians in self-defense. A lot, that, you know, quite a few dead people, at least a dozen. So how did the authorities react to all this? There are some well-publicized incidents of excessive force by police in a few instances, especially toward the beginning. There are some terrible anecdotes one can find on the Internet, uh, but one must keep in mind the statistical context that an estimated 15 to 30 million people took part in BLM and related protests last summer. In any event, the overall picture is far from the Biden and NPR picture of a consistently harsh, violent crackdown. Uh, they point out that listening to uh, NPR, uh, you'd have no report, no idea that there was any violence associated with last summer's protest, much less that there was looting and rioting all over the country. It's incredibly dishonest, and Joe Biden is too. He says, let's take a look at a few examples. Minneapolis. For the first few days of riots, Minneapolis police focused on defending their embattled 3rd Precinct building located at the center of the unrest. The mayor then ordered the police to stand down and abandon the building to the angry crowd that had surrounded it. Wait a minute. A government building surrounded, stormed, and abandoned? That sounds pretty controversial. Oh, and let me throw in now. People like to say, this is whataboutism. It's not at all. We both condemn the uh, violence at the Capitol 100%. This is a call for consistency. Yeah, and I think they're linked. I don't understand how uh, this, um, you know, I hate to argue with myself, but I know what some of the arguments are because I've been hearing them. The, uh, the, well, the, that's uh, good debating. The uh, anticipating counter uh, counter argument. The idea that bringing this stuff up is trying to excuse what happened. No, it's all horrible. It should never happen, but it's a pattern you will get what happened on Wednesday if you allow what happened all summer. They they seem connected very clearly to me. It seems almost silly to have to point that out, honestly. You permitted political violence for months and months and months, and then you got a little more, and everybody acts surprised because it was a different group of people perpetrating Isn't that it. the broken windows philosophy, that if you allow graffiti and broken windows in a neighborhood, you're going to have more crime because people say, oh, okay, you can do that sort of stuff around here. Well pointed out. Meanwhile, back in Minneapolis, uh, the uh, mayor then ordered the police to stand down and abandon the building to the angry crowd that had surrounded it. The police withdrawal caused the situation to, quote, spin out of control in the neighborhood and around the precinct house the precinct was burned to the ground nearly every building around it was vandalized looted or set on fire order was only restored when governor waltz responding to pleas from local legislators called in the national guard waltz said he didn't quote know what the plan was but wasn't going to wait for the city to tell him adding that city officials quote had lost control and their response was an abject failure mayor fry defending his stand down order acknowledged that the police made quote only a handful of arrests across the first two nights of violence. So, NPR, Joe Biden, a handful of arrests as a police precinct is stormed, burned, and businesses and apartments in the area also burned and looted. Okay, that's your brutal crackdown. Seattle, for 23 days in June, armed leftists occupied six blocks of the city's Capitol Hood neighborhood, Capitol Hill neighborhood, we remember that. The police-free zone, Chaz, CHOP, whatever you want to call it. Bands of self-appointed gun-toting guards set up encampments, patrolled the area, looted stores, smashed windows, terrorized shop owners, prevented residents from leaving or visitors from entering. In the process, devastating buildings in the occupied blocks. Uh, In early June, as rioters began to overwhelm the affected neighborhoods, many uh, mayor 
Jenny Durkin, idiot, over the objection of the chief of police, ordered the police to abandon the precinct in the area, allowed rioters to trash the building, etc. We all remember that. <clears throat> and virtually nobody was arrested. Nobody's head was cracked. It was an incredibly passive response. Portland, three months of nightly riots. Daryl Turner, head of the Portland Police Association, alleged that Mayor uh, Ted Wheeler and the District Attorney Mike Schmidt limited the city's response. Um, and the police uh, violence was, in spite of what was portrayed by Antifa, who are uh, deliberate propagandists and liars, the police response was entirely defensive. There was no rain, you know, roving through the streets, cracking heads of black people and their white allies. It's just fiction. Chicago. On a particularly violent weekend in June, Mayor Lightfoot refused to deploy the National Guard beyond Chicago's Central Business District, drawing condemnations from officials representing all the other districts, which were left unprotected during Chicago's deadliest weekend in 60 years. The five people dead at the Capitol, and now a suicide of a cop. Terrible. A tragedy. People are reacting strongly. They're making statements. They're canceling their donations. They're kicking people off of Twitter. Do you remember over that weekend in Chicago, 24 people were killed, at least 61 injured by gun violence. City's 911 dispatchers received 65,000 calls in a single day. And no major police uh, response. Certainly no uh, widespread head cracking. Louisville, riots left the city's downtown looking like a war zone. New York, violence erupted in May. de Blasio announced NYPD officers would use a light touch. Columbus, Ohio. Multiple 911 operators informed callers reporting attacks by rioters. The police were under orders to stand down, even though high-ranking city officials denied that. Long Beach video clip showed looters busting their way out of a boarded-up store, looting, beatings, shootings, etc. Indianapolis, Raleigh, Denver. On and on and on it goes. The idea that the police were so tough on the summer demonst- the peaceful summer demonstrators and easy on the white people at the capitol is is not only not true it's virtually the opposite of what is true it's a lie in npr and biden ought to know it so um uh, the headline of the day is the us government is going to recommend that you give the vaccine to anybody over 65 stop with the various are you part of this group or part of that group stuff? Just get it out to anybody over 65. I hope that uh, news spreads fast and wide and everybody adopts those guidelines. They're just guidelines. They can't make states do anything. It's part of the way our system's set up. I wonder if they heard about that in uh, beautiful Portlandia, where they're holding the commission, where the word of the day is decolonization. And that was the board distributing the vaccine. We need to right historical and current inequities with our distribution of the vaccine. I'm hoping that idiocy is over. Um, I don't know if it's idiocy or not, but it, the, the impeachment might be over. Man, it really slowed down a lot yesterday with a couple of key Democratic leaders. We should bring you up to speed on that. We're going to talk to somebody from the Cato Institution. Oh, we like those people over there about... Um, Trump and others getting booted off Twitter and Facebook and how how that whole thing should work. Yeah, and in general, the power of the the giant tech companies and how how scary it is the more you think about it. So lots of good stuff to talk about in our text line 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty.
The Armstrong and Getty Show. I've never heard a Boston accent in outer space is what they say. And I always just go like, oh, yeah, what about English? Isn't that a little weird if you went to a galaxy far, far away and you get off and somebody's like, hey, how's it going? You totally understand him. What about the fact that Han Solo's talking to a Bigfoot? He's speaking Bigfoot. Han Solo's speaking English. They never break character. The one keeps going, la, 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 la. and he's going, I said hit the, the, the button, Chewie. And that was all fine. That's Bill Burr talking about his recurring role on The Mandalorian, which is over now. I didn't even know that until Sean told me The Mandalorian is no more. That's disappointing. Uh, No, I I think it's rumors of its demise are are, are premature. The last two episodes were the best episodes that they'd ever had, and the second to last episode really featured heavily uh, comedian Bill Burr, who's great in that role. Ah! It's the Empire! Ah! Um, (laughs) It's over. Wake up, Sean. It's over. Mandalorian's dead. Yoda's a puppet. Get over it, man. Him, Bill Burr shooting that dude in the face was awesome. <laughs> the uh, in in my experience, and he makes a good point. Every space alien either speaks like a Shakespearean actor from London, or you know, back in the day, it was always like this: Earth people, you know, that sort of thing, <laughs> or an English accent. So a Boston accent is not that crazy, no, by those standards, right? Um, the business news channels, as just to flipping around, going crazy over this announcement from the government. This might be the biggest thing that happens on the planet, certainly in America, is the announcement from the government. Okay, vaccine to everybody over 65. Let's jump to the next level. This trying to dole it out and, uh, and, and, and have equity is not working. So let's just go with over. And the, so the business channels are just like going crazy. With right. This might be it. This might be the end of the whole damn thing. Yay! Well, and the idea of getting it to healthcare workers and frontline folks and the rest of it, to me, that's sensible and honorable in a way that the inequity thing is just looney tunes and crazy. But what they're discovering is, and centrally planned economies discover this all the time, the market does not react the way you want it to. I heard old uh, fathead Kim Jong-un has announced his next five-year plan to revive the, the North Korean economy so they can have fewer people starving. It's not going to work. You've got to adjust every single second in the free uh, market. And so now they're taking a much more free market approach, which I think is smart. Um, Speaking of health, do you guys worry much about what container you're putting in the microwave? As long as it's not metal, no. I never uh-huh. have, but my wife is super particular about it. Like, is that one, you got? there's a little symbol on stuff that says yeah. it's microwave compatible, but it's very tiny and hard to see. Yeah, I just, I don't think I put stuff in other than on a paper plate much at all. Well, like I got this plastic cup full of coffee. Well, I drink my coffee from a paper plate as well. <laughs> <laughs> like a dog. Like a dog. <laughs> Like, if you had this cup full of coffee, would you yeah. put this in the microwave? Or you'd think, oh, boy, I don't know if that's microwave compatible. I better check the label. I just, I never have my whole life. Of course, I got cancer, so I'm not a good person <laughs> to argue for these sorts of things. Do you think that gave it to you? No, but I can't say it's never hurt me when I got cancer. Yeah, I, yeah, I would check the container. I usually really? do. Well, if it's yeah. such a big deal, why do they put it on the GD bottom 
And it's so <laughs> tiny and the same color of the cup, you can't. You need a microscope to read it if it's such right. a big health deal. And from the Department of Pouring Whiz out of a boot, I mean, it's a little difficult just logistically to look at that thing. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I've never known if it was a big deal or not. Yeah, I don't. I, yeah, I guess I'm pretty careful. I don't know if that was my mom's influence. I can't remember when microwaves really became a thing. I know we were kind of late to the party because you know we didn't have a ton of money. But my brother still feels like he can feel radiation coming out of the microwave. He doesn't. Oh, like, really? Yeah. <laughs> not not good. Not healthy. Don't stand that close. <laughs> huh. Um. Okay. Well, so got one for one there. One worried about. One not. We're going to talk to somebody from Cato coming up about Trump getting booted off Twitter and that whole thing. And the intersection between opinion and the free expression of opinion, free speech, the government, because, you know, the First Amendment, the, you have the right to free speech. That's about the government. That's not about General Motors or Shell Oil or some corporation. But when the vast majority of speech starts to go through corporations, as it does in the era of, of, uh, of social media, and those corporations can limit speech the way they do. Is is it reason to be concerned, and is there anything we can do about it? I think the last part is no, but... Um, or is it? I definitely think there's reason to be concerned. Anyway, a lot more on that coming up. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Every vendor we talk to, you know, says they won't work with us because if Apple doesn't approve and Google doesn't approve, you know, they won't. That's something that I think we really ought to be scared of when we see these massive corporations, the most powerful ones that have ever existed in the history of the world, coming together to make a political statement to cut off right. the most popular Republican in terms of vote that we've ever seen. That's something that should bother all of us. It's interesting. There's no doubt about that. That was the CEO of Parler, followed by Ben Dominich of the Federalist Society, talking about um, you know, the huge story of Trump being booted off, well, everything, really, all the way down to Pinterest. They they canceled his Netflix account. He's not even leave, allowed to rent a movie at Blockbuster. He's, Trump has lost all power whatsoever. But well, uh, the parlor's taking it in the, in, the, in the pants also, so... Right. Well, let's talk about the intersection of liberty and big tech and social media and the rest of it with Matthew Feeney, who's the director of Cato Institute's project on emerging technologies. Uh, Matthew joins us now. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So, listen, it's undeniable that a great deal of the communication that happens on the planet these days, and in the U.S. in particular, and in uh, political conversation in particular, takes place via the tech giants. Uh, is that something we should be worried about, concerned about, or not? I suppose it depends on uh, what your vector of concern is. I think from a, a classical you know, libertarian view about free speech, this doesn't raise... Uh, too many issues. But if you're worried about, you know, who gets to speak and who gets to be heard, then I can see why this might have have you concerned. However, I'm not uh, I, I don't think the latest incident with Twitter banning Trump or the r recent news about Parler 
requires any new regulation or legislation. I think people have a strong bias towards the present. And I think we often forget that uh, companies that seem very dominant today um, will be the next MySpace in not too long. Uh, And, you know, I I think we should remember that the Internet is bigger than Silicon Valley, that although many people obviously communicate on some of these platforms, we shouldn't overstate their importance. You know, only uh, about 20 percent of American adults have a Twitter account and most don't use it that much. So I think we should uh, make sure to put uh, have that context there when we have this debate. So you sort of hinted at um, the way you look at this. I'd like you to lay it out for people. How do you if you're going to take a libertarian view of it, how does the market sort this out? Uh, what what do you see happening in the future that would have more of a, a, a you know, a, a, a balance toward voices getting to be heard? Well, I do think that there is a pretty healthy market at the moment for places where you can use an Internet connection to speak. Um, it's, it's very odd that in this debate you're talking about monopolies, plural. Uh, but the fact is that YouTube... Uh, Facebook and Twitter aren't monopolies, they're competitors with each other. Uh, what I do think is worth uh, mentioning, though, is that, that we should, I hope that this debate prompts people to get away from the content moderation uh, governance structures we've become used to. We're used to one big company decides on the rules, and if you don't obey the rules, then you're kicked off. But there are social media sites around the world, um, elsewhere on the internet, that are embracing more of a decentralized uh, model, and I think that's very, very interesting. Uh, what do you mean by that? that what, do you, what do you mean by that? A decentralized model? As in, there isn't um, someone at uh, uh, head office deciding what the rules for content will be. You have communities emerging in a decentralized manner, deciding what the rules will be for their little nodes, uh, hmm. and that uh, isn't something we're used to at the moment. But uh, you know, there's a social media site called Mastodon, for example, that embraces this approach, uh, and I, I can see why. You know, if you are a, a fan of the president, and uh, you you might be frustrated, but I, I think we should nonetheless remember that the, these are private companies operating in a market that seems to work uh, pretty well. And it's still the case that if your speech is legal, you can find a home for it on the internet. Now, will it be? Um, on the most popular website, um, maybe not, but uh, that's um, that's not a discussion about law. That's a discussion about what's popular in the market. And I get your arguments, and I don't disagree really with any of them, except perhaps that the good folks at Parler had all of their uh, web hosting, all of their servers, all the, the entire technical support of that, that uh, social media site, uh, and right down to their attorneys and everything, they all simultaneously on the same day said, we're not working with you anymore. Doesn't that strike you as a little uh, collusory? Well, it, it might be. I, I think it is um, not going to notice that a lot of these uh, companies that are based out on the West Coast made these decisions um, in quick succession. Uh, but I, I, I do think that it, it's not the case that Amazon has a monopoly on web hosting. And uh, last I checked, uh, Epic said that they would be happy to uh, house Parler. So, I, I, look, I understand that to, to Parler this was a, a massive inconvenience, but it's not the case that Amazon owns all of web hosting. Uh, there are other places to host right. websites. I appreciate that update. I had not heard that they had found a home. I'm glad to hear that. You know, I'm I'm no great fan of some of the things that caused Apple and Google and the rest of them and Amazon to be outraged. Uh, in fact, I'd, I'd rather not have that being kicked around, you know, calls for violence and, and the rest of it. But I'm glad to hear they found a home. We're free speech guys. We believe in the, you know, the market working over time. But as it currently is situated, a handful of guys, and they're all guys in this particular case, 
you know, Facebook, Google, Twitter, if they decided to push a particular narrative or squash a particular narrative, at least in the short term, they could have an influence unlike anything anybody's ever seen in history. Isn't well, that Well, they true? could decide the next several elections. Isn't that true? Uh, well, it's, it's an untested hypothesis. Um, I, I, I would say, uh, though, that at the end of the day, these are profit-seeking companies. And they also, though, of course, have an obligation to... Uh, you know, be consistent with their own values. And, and what, I, what I wish we would see more of is uh, a bit more uh, candor among people supporting the decisions to you know, actually say, look, you know, these are the exact kind of uh, the exact content that we object to. Uh, the fact is that if, if Facebook made the decision to decide the next presidential election, they would hemorrhage a lot of profit. Uh, and I don't think that they're willing to do that. But the fact is that a lot of the kind of content that people are getting upset about being banned is not what I would frame as traditional Republican or conservative content. You know, I'm not sure of anyone being booted off who said that we should have a robust uh, military or that lower taxes are better for business. Um, you know, it's a particular branch of content that is getting uh, people upset. And I think the the last you know, last week's incident at the Capitol was an opportunity for these companies to draw a line in the sand. And, and frankly, I think they've been waiting for that opportunity for a while. Uh, but, you know, the, the pushback may be, um, may be severe, but I, I think there's a chance that these uh, CEOs Twitter, at Twitter and Facebook saw that there was going to be a Democratic White House and a Democratic Congress and thought, well, if there's going to be regulation, this will at least maybe make us look good. <laughs> I don't know that for a fact. I don't know if that. I don't know that for a fact, obviously. But this mm. is classic. You know, libertari- libertarians talk about this all the time. It's uh, regulatory capture. When you view regulations as inevitable, uh, you you write them, uh, Ma- and you know that's that's something to worry about. Matthew Feeney is the uh, Cato Institute's uh, director of the Project on Emerging Technologies. Ah. Uh, I have a question while you think of yours. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what what do you foresee for the future? Do you think, because uh, a lot of this sounds like there will be a correction to this. It just might not happen as fast as, you know, some people would like it to happen. Do you see five years from now, or geez, things move so fast now, maybe a year from now, um, something, you know, that is, t- Twitter shrinks a little, something else grows up and it matches it, and you got kind of like a, Fox versus MSNBC and CNN situation where you have, you know, just a couple of large voices that have their own homes? It's it's possible that we see an increasingly siloed uh, social media environment where you have, like you mentioned, you have the Fox News equivalent of Twitter and you have the MSNBC equivalent of Twitter. Uh, You know, I I can't say, you know, my my own view is something like that might not be particularly uh, helpful. I think if the last couple of years have taught us anything, it's that polarization isn't exactly uh, healthy these days. Um, But on the other hand, if someone wants to build a Twitter that is Fox News, um, then that's fine. You know, Parler emerged in large part because there were a lot of people who were upset about content moderation decisions made by Twitter and Facebook. And that's completely fine. Um, But the the. The, the worry, I think, is that these powerful market incumbents will try to make sure that they're in the room when changes to regulation and law get discussed so that they can retain their, their market power. Um, and that is concerning because I think if someone out there has an idea that's better than Facebook, uh, they should be able to compete. Matthew, where do you and, and or Cato stand on the now famous Section 230 where you have the social media sites now obviously actively, and some would say in a biased way, curating and editing and deciding what's aired and what is not? I mean, they are clearly a publisher to me at this point. Uh, so I would I would disagree with that. I mean, I um, the, the, the law at, at 
issue here, Section 230, doesn't um, make a distinction between uh, publishers and, and platforms. Indeed, some traditional publishers, such as, you know, the Wall Street Journal, also enjoy Section 230 protection. And, you know, we should remember that Section 230 is just a liability uh, protection. It's a shield. Uh, but the actual ability to disassociate with content um, isn't something that Section 230 invented. That's protected by the First Amendment. Uh, so, you know, you could repeal Section 230 and these companies would still be allowed to decide which kind of content they wanted up or not. The question would be uh, one of liability. And the, the right. reason Section 230 emerged is that people realized that if, if websites like this were fearing tons and tons of lawsuits, there would be no Internet that we, as we know it. Do you concern yourself with establishing a less of a free speech in our culture, not the, the, the legal free speech, but just our cultural attitude force free speech is we've, we've always been, you know, we, we've tried to believe that more voices, the better. That marketplace of ideas. Marketplace cetera, of ideas. Yeah. It becomes more popular for all institutions to, you know, clamp down on some speech and, and not on others. Yeah, well, we're in this interesting paradox at the moment where uh, the United States has the best free speech protections in the world, I would argue. Uh, you know, there's no uh, there's no hate speech laws here and all kinds of content that would be illegal or restricted in other countries is completely legal here. Um, but that's the legal side of it. On the cultural side, I think there are numerous concerns about uh, people feeling like they can't express themselves or that they're not going to be accepted in society if they express certain views. That's because they uh, can't and, yeah. and they won't is the reason people feel that way. <laughs> yeah, people feel as if, yeah, they'll be, you know, fired or ostracized. And and that is, um, again, though, not something I, I see there being a government fix to. That's a cultural issue. Uh, and, you know, at Cato in, in D.C., I concern myself mostly with the law and policy. Um, what I what I do think, though, is it, it's fortunate as Americans that we are free to say almost every anything that we want. And the Internet is still the greatest uh, innovation in that respect since the printing press. Uh, but uh, I, I think there may one day be a reckoning when it comes to what people are calling cancel culture, where people realize, uh, you know, maybe we, we took that too far. Um, I'm not sure if we're there, we're there yet, but that is, that is a discussion separate from Section 230 and the First Amendment, certainly. And, that's, uh, and I appreciate that uh, discussion very much, that something concerned listeners sometimes blur a little bit, um, the, the cultural versus the legal. But, you know, law is downstream of culture. And if the culture gets too far in one direction, we will certainly find ourselves uh, passing laws like Britain or Canada have that uh, I find loathsome, saying you can't insult well, anybody's absolutely. religion, for instance. There's all that's kinds of college kids that believe, uh, you know, we've got too much free speech. Right, right. Uh, yeah, my. Yeah. Go ahead, Matthew. I'm sorry. Did you have a comment? Oh, I was just agreeing. Um, I mean, that, that obviously is a concern. Um, the the idea that um, free speech is a value that is just um, going to stay around regardless of culture, I think, is pretty pretty naive. My final question for Matthew Feeney, director of Cato's project on emerging technologies, is when you see those videos of the robots from Boston Dynamics dancing <laughs> and throwing boxes around, does that inspire you or does that freak you out a little bit? Oh, no, I, I welcome our new robot overlord. Okay. Well, um, I'm very, I'm very... <laughs> I knew I could, knew I could count on you. I, <laughs> yeah. Matthew Feeney, I, director, I, indeed, of Cato's Project on Emerging Technologies. Enjoyed the discussion very, very much, Matthew. I hope we can do it again. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Yeah, put him in the Rolodex, and we do, we do use a Rolodex because we're old. Um, uh, put him in the Rolodex anytime we want to yeah, talk about I'll anything. I'll add it to the phone contacts. That contacts. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> 
I know this makes me a weirdo, but I enjoy being challenged on my premises. But, I, I, I like it. But what you said is clearly something that I think all the lawyers are missing. All the lawyers are missing. That, that you know, the law is downstream from culture. Culture is going to rule. Yes. If the culture of free speech goes away, the laws will change. It's just yep. a, a given. Once people get battered into silence by their corporation, by their neighbors, by their local school district. By and their robot or- overlords. That too. Um, <laughs> Dancing and, robots. And and anybody in a blue state or blue metro area knows precisely what we're talking about. If you are cowed into silence on a daily basis, the cultural energy that prevents that sort of thing from being enacted into even minor laws that start to chip away at the First Amendment, if we don't have the cultural energy to resist that, it will go away. And that's a guarantee. Right. So that's what really bothers me. But so I don't know how to explain this exactly. I need to noodle it through a little bit. But uh, for you, our good friends who are extremely concerned about this stuff um, and, and talk about freedom of speech and the First Amendment, understand you have the cultural and the legal. And and legally speaking, we're actually doing great. Nobody's passed any uh, really onerous anti-First Amendment laws anywhere in the U.S. They get knocked down immediately. But it's about the culture. If if you're not allowed to express your opinion in your workplace or your school board meeting or, or your community, whatever, that's where the fight is. And you you have to be brave and stand up and say, I believe ideas should be aired and argued and disputed, and nobody should be silenced in my town. You disagree with me, but let's hear your opinion. Be that leader. So this first world country just saw its first population drop. Are we next? Eric Clapton's guitar goes up for sale and nobody bids on it. we got a bunch of different stories we can talk about. The richest man in the I'll world. I'll give you a hundred bucks. The richest man in the world, Elon Musk, has more to say, and everything's on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. saying for years that economic reporting is the worst reporting that happens in America. I'm, uh, uh, yeah, I'm starting, it's pretty bad. I'm starting to think science reporting ranks right up there. Oh, <laughs> yeah, science is a clear winner, now that I think about it. How many it. articles do I read about the COVID mutation? Fact check! Is a mutation dangerous? No, viruses mutate all the time. Okay, well, there's a... Oh, my God. Simplified, the, the, the answer is practically a lie answer, but... More on that coming up later. The good news is the government is going to recommend just get the vi- the vaccine out to everybody over 65, all right? Stop with the shenanigans. Right. Quit with your carefully constructed central planning. Who's going to get it in what order? Now, Group 1A will proceed Group 1B, C, and D, while Group 2... No, just get it out. More on that later. Um, Eric Clapton had a guitar uh, up for auction. Now, he's got the most expensive guitar that ever sold. Several years back, Brownie sold for, I don't remember how many million dollars. You can see it up in uh, Seattle. You can see it in Seattle at that uh, Jimi Hendrix Museum. It's very cool. But uh, Clapton had a guitar. He's a guitar player, if you don't know that. Um, he uh, he had a guitar uh, up for auction. They're starting the bids at $1 million. Got no bids. 
And some people believe it's because of Clapton's controversial anti-lockdown views. <laughs> Living in the United States, I was unaware no, that... No, it's not. I was unaware that Eric Clapton was working hard on the anti-lockdown beat. So he's like... Who's the other musician? Somebody put out a song. Some old-timey musician. Van Morrison. Oh, that's out, right. Put out a yeah. song. So Van Morrison and Eric Clapton uh, can tour on the No Masks for Us. Um, well, I guess they're just anti-lockdown. I don't know that they're anti-mask, but... Yeah, well, I, I I refuse to bid on Van Morrison's fedora should it come up for sale. Anyway, well, you start at a million dollars for a guitar, you might not get bids. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure it has to do with his political views, and not not a two comma guitar. Well, if you're a guitar freak, it's not blacky or brownie, so no, it's not going to go for it. It's just another guitar that he played, and so mm-hmm. whatever. Um, uh, this country far- saw its first ever population drop. Is it coming to the United States? Almost certainly, South Korea. Had more deaths than births in 2020. The pandemic made things worse, but they've been heading that direction for a long time. The United States would be uh, going the wrong direction if it weren't for immigration, legal and illegal. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's a strategy to prop up uh, Social Security, Medicare, and the rest of the social you, program. Your advanced first world countries are not having babies. Nobody's exactly sure why. I think I know why, as I've stated many times, but... um. That's China's birth rate is dropping like crazy too. Yeah, you know, they have a different different situation. I think. Uh, yeah, although it's similar in that you know women are more employed and more uh, wealthy and self determinant and the rest of it, and that goes with lowered birth rates. Yeah, it just does. But they have a uh, a, a demographic bomb about to go off in China, and and nobody wants to immigrate to communist China either. Not many folks. Armstrong and Getty.